0: So, we haven't had a normal service in, like, over a month, I don't think. Um, So, this morning, we're going to resume this series on answering divine questions. The Bible is full of not just people asking God questions, but God asking people questions and challenging them where they are. And uh, in particular, we've been going through particular questions in the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, and we've been flip-flopping, and this week, we are going to be looking at a question that Jesus asks of uh, someone around him and it is a good moment for us to see what our answer is to that question. Now, I'm not widely travelled. My wife would love us to be more widely travelled but um, I have been to the London Underground. Put your hands up if you've been on the London Underground. Excellent. Has anyone been on the Paris Metro? Oh, well I've been on the Paris Metro. And let me tell you, if you thought the maps on the London Underground were confusing, just put them in French and it will blow your mind. Um, And uh, uh, me and a mate got dropped off by bus at the edge of the Paris Metro, and we had no idea where in Paris where we were or where we were supposed to get to. Uh, And it was uh, an adventure. And anyone here been on the New York subway? I've been on the New York subway as well. And let me tell you, there is a universal truth for the London Underground, the New York subway and the Paris Metro. When lots of people come together, when they, lots of people crowd in, when there is limited space and lots of energy, it is noisy. Everyone say noisy. noisy. It is dirty. Everyone say dirty. Noisy. And everyone say smelly. Smelly. It is When you get a concentration of people it is inevitably noisy, dirty and smelly and to get anywhere it is hard work. Today we look at a moment of this in Jesus' life. Jesus finds himself in a mass, in a tide of humanity and do you know what, he's not the focus. They have not come to see him. He finds himself in a massive crowd and he has been swept along by it. Now I was trying to do some research and I'm not sure how uh, definite it is, but it looks like Jerusalem in the first century had about 20 to 30,000 people in it. And um, when the Feast of Passover happened, when there was this annual celebration called Passover, 100,000 people decided to move in. So uh, I'm not quite sure, uh, but I think sort of 20,000 is slightly larger than Bubush, probably the same sort of size as Broadfield. And then suddenly the rest of Crawley and outskirts decide to join them. Can you imagine the flood of humanity, the logistics involved, all the different dirty, smelly, noisy people suddenly joining you in your area? And they are looking these 100,000 dirty, smelly uh, people. They're looking to remember that moment when Yahweh rescued them from slavery. We kind of sang about it earlier, when God parted the Red Sea, when the Israelites uh, went through it, and when the seas came back and drowned uh, the Egyptian warriors. And there is that moment of relief, that moment of freedom, that moment of uh, uh, breathing in Uh, what it is to be liberated from the hardship and horrors of uh, Egyptian slavery. And so it's easy to imagine, hopefully, if we've ever been on a underground or maybe even the Metro bus, I don't like to cast aspersions on our local bus service, uh, but if you've ever been to it when it's really busy, it's easy to, remem- uh, easy to imagine Jesus in the middle of these 100,000 people. They are, there is discomfort, there is pressing in, there are panicked parents because their kids don't walk with them, they want to go over there, and suddenly they have to go and rescue them. There are body odours, because not all of us, use links Africa you know some of us choose other things and there is chaos and this is not the time when you have uh, uh, clean combustion engines there's animal dung and feces and all that sort of stuff going out and there's this frenetic energy you know they've been planning to come to this Passover for a long time and they want to go there and there's a 100,000 other people that want to go there as well and so there is this uh, frantic fury of movement, of people going to Jerusalem. And in this, in this chaos, in this drama, in this Christmas rush, we have an extraordinary encounter. Some of you have been like, are we even going to get to Scripture today? Yes, we are. If you've got a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 um, We think that Mark took a lot of his cues from the Apostle Peter, so there's lots of soon's and sudden's and immediately's, and the gospel's like half the length of everyone else because it all happened so quickly. Um, And so in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, it says this. Then they came to Jericho. Everyone say Jericho. Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, where were they going? They were going to Jerusalem. Everyone say Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So they're going from Jericho to Jerusalem, together with a large crowd. And uh, there was a blind man named Bartimaeus. Everyone say Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. Can I just say that's a perfect reproduction of the original Hebrew. Well done. So um, Bartimaeus, which was sitting on the roadside begging, when he heard that it was Jesus, son of Nazareth, he began to shout. Why did he shout? Because there's a flipping crowd being noisy and dirty and filthy in front of him. Okay, he had to raise his voice to go over the noise. And so he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, true to form, the crowd is not nice and gentle. Have you ever met a gentle crowd, a loving crowd, a furious, moving, seething hive of humanity that is just nice and gentle and just wants to do its best? No. Many in the crowd rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, bless him. He shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped as much as he could, as he was buffeted by all these other people. He said, call him. And so they called to the blind man. I wonder if you can, uh, I've not heard this uh, particularly made much of, um, but can you hear this? So they called to the blind man. This is the crowd. They go, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. It's a slightly sarky reference to it. It's like, I'm not quite sure that that's totally genuine. It sounds like the crowd are like, oh, here we go. Here we've got a bit of a game on. Let's see what's going to happen. And uh, so they said, he's calling you. And he throws his cloak aside and he jumps to his feet and he comes to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man, I've given you a hint as what's coming next. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. And then Jesus says, go. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, God bless Peter, he's always an action man. He doesn't say, and the light dawned on his eyes. He said immediately, quickly, before he knew it, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I wonder if you've ever seen a film with a continuity error, something that you're like "Oh, I don't like that, that's kind of ruined it. There's that bit in Star Wars where he's supposed to have choked the man and he's supposed to be dead, and then as he falls he makes sure that he doesn't hurt himself when he falls. Um, There are uh, Star Wars helmets like that are knocked, that it's obviously uh, an error. In the the film Gladiator, one of the trucks um, one of the um, Chariots falls over and underneath you can spot a great big gas canister where someone's um, obviously failed to hide it Um, and in the Curse of the Black Pearl with um, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean*, uh, there's a beautiful shot of uh, Jack Sparrow leading away and there's a crew member like just with a like a Panama hat on just looking over the waves And it just completely ruins the scene now as you read this you should be aware that there might be a continuity error The Old Testament, if you are familiar with it, has various books in it. And in the book of Joshua, the Israelites come to a town with lots of big walls. Can anyone tell me the town? Jericho. Jericho. There's a big town with big walls. And the Israelites come to it. What happens to the walls? They fall down, don't they? They fall down. They march around it. The walls fall down. And do you know what the Israelites do? They don't go in and bless it and build it up and make it look like an architectural wonder. They destroy it. They level it to the ground. What's the town that Jesus is at at the moment? Um, In this, in uh, Mark chapter 10. Where are they? Where's Bartimaeus? Jericho. Jericho, right? This is the place that the Jews destroyed and they didn't want to rebuild. What is Jericho doing? Is this a continuity error? Is this a problem with your Bibles? If you've been here any long time at all, you will know that there is an explanation for this. You see, Herod the Great, we don't think he's so great, but that's what he turned himself. He was very rich. um, And if you know anything about the temple in Jerusalem, Herod the Great kind of added little annexes and little um, uh, towers and made it bigger. And one of the things he also did, he decided to have a winter palace. You know, he wanted like a Balmoral or um, somewhere that he can winter in. And so uh, um, he decided that uh, that Jericho was a lovely place for him to have a winter palace. So a little bit uh, like a mile away from the old site of Jericho, he builds this vast place and it is beautiful. It is full of opulence uh, and royalty. It has got uh, fertile fields and swimming pools and all sorts of things. It's like a, a, a new town and it is somewhere, something to behold. And this is the site that Bartimaeus is at. And it's on the pilgrim's way to Jerusalem. This new winter palace that Herod's built, it's on the way to Jerusalem. And so you have, um, in this concentration of people, in this furious uh, uh, um, community of people moving on, you find a beggar. And it's not really a surprise, is it? If you are down on your luck if things haven't gone well for you you look for the concentrations of people and of money and perhaps a little bit of religious feeling you know if you've got people with religious feeling you can perhaps manipulate that and go go on sir you know what god bless you And then perhaps they give you some money. So it's little wonder that there were beggars around Jericho as all these Israelites were uh, en route to Jerusalem, this 100,000 group. They were looking to have a party and, and, and celebrate what God had done. Now, Jesus' fame had grown in this time. You know, he'd turned the water into wine and done some various other miracles. And so people were starting to know that Jesus was someone remarkable. You know, he was someone that tales were told about. And so even this poverty-stricken disabled person who was... A Um, out of luck, he's heard of Jesus. You know he's on the edge of society. He doesn't get invited to the best banquets and the best meals. uh, But he's heard of this Jesus and that this Jesus is kind of kind to people. And he catches, as this furious crowd of people move through Jericho, he catches um, a whisper that the Nazarene is here. And his muscles tense. And his heart quickens. And suddenly he's like, oh, that Jesus is here. That Jesus that does miracles and that seems to have compassion on the poor and the misfortunate, the people that are down on their lot, the people that aren't proud and arrogant, the people that need help. Jesus is here. Perhaps he can help me. Now this guy up to this point, all he's wanted is money. He's begged, please, sir, uh, give us some spare change. And he wants it to alleviate his destitution. He can't see. He's probably not supported by family. He's trying to make his own way in the world. Please, sir, pay, spare uh, change. But there is hope now. This Jesus of Nazareth that he's heard rumours and whispers of. There's hope of something more than just begging for change. I really like his uh, ambition. He, he wants something. And it's not just Jesus give me a shilling or a penny or a groat. And he wants mercy because he's got this condition he knows he's different from everyone else and it it hampers him and it makes life a little bit miserable and it means he can't work and it means he can't look after his family and it means he can't take a position in society where he gets to honour God and so in the middle of the fury and the noise and the smelliness, in the middle of the animal dung and uh, the cries of derision, this uh, beggar, this man at the side of the road that you wouldn't look at, in fact If you're like me, like, so sometimes go to the Tesco's metro and sometimes there's a homeless person out there, I look away because I'm too embarrassed that I'm not giving money. And, you know, I'm like, "Oh, oh, I don't like that. There's someone cold and wet. And you know what? I'm not helping out this time. And so in the middle of all that, this beggar raises his voice he's never been so bold he's never wanted attention so much and he wants the Nazarene to look at him and it is a big and bold and brave move and there's more to it than that he actually names Jesus he doesn't say just Jesus the Nazarene he goes Jesus son of David and this is wonderful Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11. Now, I read at the beginning of the meeting Isaiah chapter 12 because it's a really good bit of celebration after this. But before it, it says this in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Oh, we're going to read a little bit of it. It says this. So this is the Old Testament, there's no sign of Jesus and uh, the Jews, you know, they get rescued from Egypt and then their problems still don't get solved, you know, they're still arguing and fighting and then the kingdom divides because they can't get on and can't agree who their king should be and all the other uh, nations around them are looking at them like ravenous wolves and attacking them and so it says this in Isaiah chapter 11, Because they find out freedom from slavery is not quite all they need. And it says this, A shoot will come out from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. This is so beautiful. The wisdom, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might. Wouldn't you like to meet someone that has these qualities? the spirit of counsel and of might and the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord an extraordinary man this is going to be. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will have fun in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, because we know that leads to bad judgment. We know that leads to bad decisions. Just judging with your eyes, you get all sorts of things wrong. How many of us have been judged by someone by what we look like, and they have completely missed the mark? Well, this root of Jesse is not going to be like that. He won't decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. This guy is pro-poor, pro-needy, pro-people that are struggling, pro-people that don't feel they're quite up for it. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And um, this is an extraordinary bit. The wolf will live with the lamb. That is not natural. When a wolf sees a lamb, ordinarily wolves eat the lambs, because one's a carnivore and one's a victim. But in the presence of this root of Jesse, it's different. The leopard... This terrible carnivore that eats goats, do you know what it's going to lie down with? It's going to lie down with a goat. And the calf and the lion, calves and lions aren't natural bedfellows. If you go out into the Serengeti, you're not going to find cows and lions hanging out together. The cow um, will feed with the bear, again. It's an extraordinary relationship that is remarkable. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant, you've had an infant, you'll know where you want them to play. You don't want them to play near roads. don't want them to play near fires. We've got uh, beehives and wasps uh, nests. You don't want them anywhere near there. And do you know where you don't want them what near? Uh, snakes and nests of snakes. We had a friend in Bush who um, uh, discovered a snake in Buckham Park. He picked it up. It bit him, obviously, and he spent like a week in hospital. It became great bragging rights, but it is not somewhere that you want your infant to play with, near snakes or nests of snakes. And yet, we find the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest, and they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner of the peoples, the nations will rally on him, and the resting place will be glorious. Everyone, say, glorious. glorious. This is a different world that Isaiah is describing. It is a world that should excite you. It is a world that you go, Oh, that sounds better than the one we're at. You know, right now, the rich. The strong and the arrogant, they win. They're the ones that get all the uh, fame and the riches and the comforts. And if you're not one of those, you get trodden on. But when this root of Jesse comes, everything changes. When this blind Bartimaeus said, Jesus, son of David, he was referring to this point. And Bartimaeus goes, you know what, I think this is the Messiah. I think this is the one that's going to transform things. I think he cares about the needy. This crowd doesn't care about the needy. All the religious authorities, they don't care about the needy. But I think this Jesus is because he's starting a new regime. He's going to bring something beautiful and unheard of to this land. The Jews had long awaited for a saviour. Described by the prophet Isaiah. They'd look for someone that would rule with divine wisdom. And usher in an age of health and peace and prosperity and godliness. This beggar. He's been stripped of all opportunities. He can't see. He can't work. He can't do anything obviously useful in society. But he could see who the Nazarene was. He could see that Jesus was someone different. He could see that Jesus was the answer to Isaiah's hope. He could see that this was someone with the spirit of wisdom on. He could see that this was someone uh, who would judge uh, with the fear of the Lord in his heart. Who would not judge just by what he sees but what he finds in the heart. And so he cries out, have mercy on me. You know what, that's going to be amazing if the son of David has mercy on me because that's part of his new kingdom and I can be assured that it's coming. But the bustling pilgrims, they're too busy for the son of David. They're off to celebrate the Passover. And uh, they look at this Bartimaeus and they reject him. They go, shut up, shut up. I don't care, don't give me a son of David, don't give me a root of Jesse nonsense, I'm off to go and celebrate with my family. Friends, we need to beware of joining in with the crowds. It is really easy to find ourselves with a bunch of other people and then start to adopt their mindsets. You see it uh, in the media and you see it on the internet. We find ourselves in a number and what it does, it reduces our thinking and makes makes us stupid. We start to have clumsy categories uh, that are no good to anyone. And it leads to prejudice, it leads to bigotry, and it leads to hatred. And this is what it does right now. This crowd that are supposed to be religious and celebrating the Passover miss out on a beautiful encounter by ridiculing this man that they think is worth nothing. And let us also be very well aware that our social position, whatever it is, and whatever position we have, will have some pride in it. It takes very little for us to have a skewed, bigotry, prejudiced position where we go, oh, the uh, people below me are worse than me. No, at least I work, or uh, at least I've got investment funds, or at least I take care of things. And people below us in the socio-economic ladder, we look down on and think, you know what, we're better than them. Let me be very clear, it, it takes very little to ruin someone. A bad family, a bad spout of health, uh, 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 a poor financial uh, thing coming along and suddenly they're flawed and you don't get to look down on them. You don't like to think yourself superior. You don't don't get to think, oh, I am where I am today because of who I am. That is nonsense. And so this beggar to this crowd is a worm. He's a scrounger. He's a useless parasite who the world would be better without. He has no dignity, and he especially has no dignity in opulent Jericho. This is the winter palace of King Herod the Great. What's a beggar doing here, muddying the streets and making it awkward for decent folk to walk around and ask for their pennies? Now, there's an aggressive response, but our Bart his need is too much. Flippy nice, forget the crowd. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And so he calls out louder. I love this. He shouts out. The crowd goes, sharp. And what he does, he goes, I'm going to cry with all my heart because my need is so desperate. And I believe in this root of Jesse. And he shakes his fist at these belligerent, hateful, prejudiced, small-minded people. And he cries out for help. We dehumanise other people so easily. We make them small and we make ourselves superior. But thankfully, the Lord is bigger than that. Thankfully, the Lord sees us as individuals. Thankfully, the Lord especially has an eye for the needy, the struggling, the poor, and uh, uh, those with bad health. He goes, you know, I see you particularly because the world doesn't. The world doesn't lift you up. The world doesn't invite you uh, to their Christmas parties. The world doesn't invite you into their middle. They push you on the edge and say, you stay there. But God, thankfully, isn't like that. And God says, you know what, bottomash? You are worth my time and effort. Now, we're going to read a little bit more. Or did we read it all? I can't remember now. Um. Mark chapter 10. And so we have this moment where Jesus stops and says, call him. And they uh, sort of gently make fun of him and then he throws his cloak aside and then we have this moment, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asks, and the blind man says, Rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. And immediately he raised his sight, uh, received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. The crowd has stopped in their tracks. All their prejudice, all their belligerent behaviour is frozen for a moment. And Jesus asks for an audience with the beggar. This is beside the Winter Palace. This is beside all the opulence of the king. But the true king of heaven now asks to break the crowd apart and have an audience with this beggar that no one else cared about, that they all ridiculed and reduced to a nuisance. Suddenly this man deserves attention. And the crowd gently mock him. And the bloke... This bar mess, here's a, I don't know if you've seen them, uh, but often beggars sit cross-legged and they have uh, sort of uh, their cloak across them and it means that when you can throw money in, it sort of lands on the cloak and it catches. Um, And so um, this is what he would have done. Uh, it had a cloak covering his lap and what he does when Jesus calls him he throws off the cloak and do you know what happens when he throws off the cloak all the money he's acquired that day goes flying all the pounds and fivers and tenors all the groats and denarii and any other sort of thing it all goes flying he throws it off I don't need this anymore I am being called by Jesus and he gets up And he abandons his money he doesn't need charity he needs mercy and he needs mercy from the root of Jesse and he approaches Jesus of Nazareth if the root of Jesse is calling he doesn't need to worry about spare change he doesn't need to worry about all the donations other people have given him he doesn't need to worry about what he has sought after day after day because there is something higher that he can get and Jesus looks him straight in the eye and he goes so, so what do you want what, what mercy is this that you're calling for and Bartimaeus tall and loud and proud as a lion, says I want to see Jesus doesn't touch him doesn't use a magic wand doesn't go doesn't do anything he just goes you know your faith has healed you mate off you go And suddenly this guy that has suffered with blindness, who has been relegated to begging on the streets, who has been reduced to something that other people would regard as subhuman, who often would be regarded by believers as having been cursed by God, suddenly he is blessed beyond his wildest imagination and he is given this gift of sight. And Mark who seems to have got some of his information from Peter, tells us the beggar doesn't slowly go, you know what, this root of Jesse might have something going for him. I might look after him for a bit. Or, oh look, it's a coincidence we're going the same way. Uh, Mark tells us that immediately the beggar follows Jesus. Everyone say immediately. Immediately. I like an immediately in scripture. I like a sense of urgency. Uh, I like a sense of enthusiasm. I like a sense of passion. I like a sense of motivation and momentum. And this is what the beggar gives us. Now, you will, might know that this story is told in the other gospels. And some people have suggested well, yeah, Bartimaeus followed Jesus to Jerusalem where right? perhaps he offered a sacrifice of praise. You know? He probably didn't have much to offer, but perhaps as he went. But there's something about this passage that suggests that he is more than that. He doesn't just follow Jesus to Jerusalem. There's something more and unusual about Mark's account. It is his name. The other gospel writers don't record his name. But Mark, who gets his info from Peter often, knows the beggar's name. I tell you when you know someone's name you know a little bit more about them when you know someone's name it means they're not just a crowd they're not just an anom- uh, uh, anonymous person on the side anyone that's been here any time at all I know your name because you matter and the same is true in this passage Mark tells us his name because this blind man matters, not just to the story, but to the church. And Peter, who was so important to the church, probably told Mark, this guy's name, let me tell you, he's not just an anonymous blind man, but he is Bartimaeus. Everyone say Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. You need to know this name. Say Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is really important because it is his name. This beggar is not just a beggar. This is Bartimaeus. And he, we probably know his name because he went to church. He, we probably know his name because he became part of the faithful. He became part of the people of God. Uh, Jesus heals him and Bartimaeus loves Jesus so much that he becomes part of church history and his name is immortalized in our scriptures. Bartimaeus initially he wanted sight he was like that is my big deal man that is what uh, would change everything but I tell you what he really wanted and what he found was Jesus this morning I want us to allow Jesus to ask us so what do you want what do you want What does your mind think about? What do you crave? What are you working for? What do you spend your time doing? What do you want? Perhaps you need some health. You know, the rheumatism's playing up. Or something more serious or something less serious is going on. Perhaps you need finances, you know, you're struggling with this, that, another. Perhaps you need security or uh, uh, some sort of uh, help with relationships. Or perhaps there's some other divine intervention um, that you ask for. And you know, you you work towards it in your life. Um, It is something that you dream about. It is something that you work towards. And hopefully it's something you pray for. And let me encourage you this morning. Feel free to ask God what you want. God wants to hear what you want. Jesus wants to hear what's on your heart. What do you crave? And he says, you know what? You can do it constantly. You don't have to just do it when you come to church. And you don't have to just do it in your quiet times. You can do it constantly. God, I need this. I want this. God is happy and big enough to field your requests. You're not going to annoy him by these requests. And... Um, Often is happy to answer. But the truth of this encounter is something else. There are many things for us to want. There's a whole load. Our culture specialises in um, aggravating wants in you in creating appetites you never knew existed and then suddenly you're like, my goodness, I need this thing that I didn't even know existed a week ago but this passage is all about wanting Jesus you can want for a lot of things you've all got different things in your lives and no matter where you are in your stage whether you are a ten-year-old boy wanting Robux and that's what they talked about on the way here this morning, Um, to uh, someone older who's looking forward to getting his bus pass, or someone older uh, than that uh, who just wants those biscuits that they like to uh, eat. Whatever I want, the best one is Jesus. This starts with us trusting in him to save us. It starts by going, you know what, I am not good enough. I need some help. I have a division between me and God. And that recognition that he died and rose again and sat in victory by the Father and go, dear heavenly Father, I need you. And it starts there. the, The want, that initial want for salvation is important and critical. However we become small-minded impoverished beggars on the road to eternity if that's it if the only Jesus you want is to get you into heaven then you are the blind Bartimaeus you're a beggar you're settling for crumbs I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 6, Paul speaking. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the, the rulers of the age who are coming to nothing. This culture, which seems so impressive with its mobile phones and missiles and uh, uh, tall buildings and finance, it is coming to nothing. Everyone say nothing. nothing. So if it's coming to nothing, if its ultimate end result is nothing, then perhaps it's worth a little less of your time than you think it is. We declare God's wisdom. and God's wisdom is a little bit better than the culture around us. We declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden. Because if you look in the Old Testament, it's difficult to find Jesus. You can find him there, but it's a little difficult. And the whole Old Testament is a little bit mysterious and confusing. And sometimes it makes me slightly angry. But it's a mystery there. And then Paul goes on. It's a mystery that was hidden and that God has destined for our glory before time began. There's a lot to unpack, but I'm going to move on. None of the uh, rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Anyone know who the Lord of glory is? Jesus. They crucified Jesus because they didn't recognise him. They didn't know that that is what God looked like. Bartimaeus did. Bartimaeus knew it. But these rulers, these proud, arrogant people, they had no clue. And so they even killed him. However, as it is written, it's a great bit, isn't it? What no eye has seen and no ear has heard and what no mind has conceived. The things God has prepared for those that love him. Ouch. Whatever you've seen, God's gift for you is going to be bigger than that. Whatever you've heard about, God's gift for you is going to be bigger than that. Whatever you can dream and imagine, and I've got quite an active imagination. I've got quite a good capacity to imagine big things. And the scripture says, God has got prepared for me, for people that love him, something more than that. You know, that's a lot. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep Things of God. Now, the deep things of God sounds profound. You're like, oh, we're talking about philosophy or theology or something. And it's Jesus. Jesus is the deep thing of God. Jesus is the profound wisdom of God. Jesus is the thing that God kept hidden and only whispered to the Israelites and then revealed with uh, celebrations and fireworks in the New Testament. Jesus is the deep thing of God that has been revealed. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, uh, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Who is that? Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Jesus. Very good, that's the right answer. That we may understand Jesus, that God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They don't know Jesus, they don't know the Holy Spirit. They get confused and they laugh and they ridicule and they point the finger. Doesn't accept these things. Consider some foolishness, you idiot Christians, you believe in your antiquated God. Tisk. They can't discern these things with the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to mid-human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Of Christ everyone say I have the mind of Christ Christ. when we believe when we are convinced that Jesus died for our sins when we give in to his grace his Holy Spirit comes lives in us and you know what the Spirit's work is he wants to show you Jesus this person that died for you this second person of the Trinity that loves you more than you could possibly know he wants to show the mystery and wisdom of God which is Jesus Jesus was hidden in the Old Testament. You get various hints, various whiffs of him. The angels do some stuff and then they sort of reference various things, but he's hidden. And then suddenly, in all his technical glory, he comes out in the uh, New Testament. And the, G- and the Holy Spirit goes, yes, that's what you should be getting excited about. This God incarnate. Have you ever met anyone like this Jesus? Jesus. He is humble and powerful. He is gentle and loving. He is quick to point out the uh, offender and he is quick to forgive. So many people, even believers, pursue humanity's knowns. You know what? I pursue this thing that I know what the result will be. But the deepness of God is more satisfying This revelation of Jesus is in better. This is the Jesus who values us, who says, you are important to me. I created you because I love you and I've got plans and purposes for you. He singled you out before time began. That's quite a big thing to get your head around. Jesus loves you and he planned to save you before the beginning of time. This is the Jesus who mends, who heals, who comforts, who restores, who brings mercy. Thank you to Andy earlier who said, you know what, believe God healed me. You know, we thank you for the medical profession. But you know what, they are not dealing with guarantees. But uh, we were able to pray and uh, Andy was saying, you know, I think God had something to do with it. God mends. This room is full of people that God has touched and seen mended, who've been healed, who've been comforted when they've lost something or someone, who have lost stuff and seen it restored, who have felt guilt and shame and known it forgiven and mended, who have not deserved anything but have received waves of God's mercy. This is the Jesus who inspires holiness, don't hear much about holiness these days this is the spirit that says you need to know about Jesus who is holy and you need to be holy need to be careful what you say need to be careful what you do you don't uh you aren't there to make other people uncomfortable you aren't there to put others down and lift yourselves up You aren't there to uh, act out. You aren't there to uh, uh, be involved in idolatry. You aren't there to be involved in immorality. You aren't there to take my name in vain. You aren't there to steal and rob. You aren't there uh, 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 to uh, get involved in sexual immorality and not there to do all these different things. And we go, oh, this is a different Jesus that the Spirit shows us. And we go, you know what, I'm going to chase that too. My job as a pastor isn't to sign your passport forms or any other forms you've got for me to sign. Isn't to perform ceremonies, you know, for baptisms or for funerals. Isn't to visit you uh, in hospital or look after you when you're sick. My job as a pastor is this. Through meetings, through sermons, through prayer services, through home groups, through everything I possibly can, is to foster here a community who runs after the mysteries of God. Who says the mysteries of God is better than the mysteries of the world. The mysteries of God is more important to me than anything offered by the world out there. That the mysteries of God is something more profoundly satisfying that I will uh, train my soul and my kids and my family to run after even if the whole world as a crowd shouts at me you're a loser and you are not worth anything. My job as a minister here is to excite in you a hunger for God's mysteries so that you live them out in your homes, in your families, in your work and that is what I'm after. And so this morning I desperately, passionately, red-facedly, sweatingly, with no ego, with no dignity. I'm all out there. I've got nothing else to say. I raise my voice and make it quiet. I do everything I can in my abilities to say, you need to love Jesus and pursue him at the expense of everything else. There is nothing worth looking out for than him. There is no better goal in your life than to chase him for all your worth. It may cost you all you have, but that is nothing worth, by which you will get the response from Him. I run out of words, I run out of strength, I run out uh, uh, of myself. But that is the goal this morning. Run after Jesus, want Jesus. Don't want church, don't want even Bible, want Jesus. Want Jesus, who the Holy Spirit reveals, who is the most beautiful human to ever walk the earth, who lives and uh, uh, sits at the right hand of the Father in the most beautiful glory you can ever imagine. Want him with all you have. And like Bartimaeus, if we let Jesus move, he will change everything and more than we thought possible. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this miracle. We thank you that you had mercy on Bartimaeus. Lord God, and I pray uh, that each of us, as we come to you with our needs, that we would learn to want not the gift, but the giver. That we would learn to want not just the benefits you have for those that love you, but you yourself. And that you would find in us replicas of yourself. Lord God, I pray that you would find us better at loving you and others. You'd find us better at being humble and gentle and kind and forgiving. You'd find us better at being holy and pure and moral and ethical. That you would find us uh, uh, more like him who you sent. Lord God, we thank you that you unveiled this uh, mystery to us and that we can welcome it with both arms into our lives. Lord God, I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.